Bodkin sitting in a tree. K I L L I N G. Like a lot of British bisexuals at the time. I mean, it could happen. These millennials. No, I mean, yes, but no. <laughs> Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's finally doing stuff. <laughs> yes. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Amy Schneider. Boy, when we take a break. Yeah. We sure uh, dip down pretty far into our own crapulence. <laughs> we do. Well, it's that old law, you know, an object that's not podcasting tends to stay not podcasting. <laughs> Until acted upon by an outside Patreon. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <gasps> well, yeah. also, it was partially my fault because, like, I kept reading the calendar wrong for May. Like, mm. I kept being a week ahead, and it was not that time yet. I see. So, um, you know, that's between me and my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, and plus, like, this is, you know, it's just a bit more, like, of a struggle to put together research as opposed to just sort of watching an episode of something and talking at our asses about it. Like, Yeah, that's more dicking around, and this yeah. is, like, dicking through. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry, America, <laughs> that this has happened to you on this beautiful day this beautiful that day. Rachel Meghan Markle has become HRH, the Duchess of whatever, yeah. uh, and wore a real boring dress. Wouldn't she? Pew, have- pew, pew! I said it. Her dress sucked. <laughs> Wouldn't they have made her the Duchess of something first? Because like, that's what they did with Philip, right? At the beginning of The Crown. He was like, first he was made... The Duke of Edinburgh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I was like, Duke of Windsor? No. But then I couldn't get that out of my head. Yeah, okay. Before he married Elizabeth. Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. Literally everything I know about this stuff comes from the royal we. (laughs) And they didn't find out what their title was going to be as a married couple until the rehearsal dinner. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, all the stuff I know about it comes from Guy Branham's Twitter feeds. So. Listen, that's also fair. That, yeah. No, honestly, that's probably more accurate. Yeah. No, and you know, it's like I appreciated that it was a Givenchy, just because I like to say that. Oh, yeah. I, who doesn't? Yeah, everybody likes to say that. That's right. But And her veil was really cool. Okay. I feel like the queen like gave specific a specific request that was like, we do not want you to look better than Catherine did because we like her better. Yeah. Well, and the impression I've gotten too from skimming things is that uh, the audience reacted to the black preacher much like a white American audience would react to a black preacher. I was literally just talking about this on Facebook because that has been my favorite clip of anything because it's him. You know, he's talking about Balm and Gilead, which Mm -hmm. lit up my ass on Twitter (laughs) because of The Handmaid's Tale. Right. And uh, not referring to the Lanford Wilson play, <laughs> but I just the this is my this is my internal monologue uh-huh. for every white Briton yeah. in the audience. Elton John was not; he was just. I mean, Elton John is basically Roz from Monsters Inc. at this point. <laughs> but uh, you know, everybody's face was just, <laughs> oh my, oh my. <laughs> Oh my, he's still going. Because <laughs> they were all just like, they were like, no, really? Yeah. They were like, is this a prank? <laughs> he seems to actually believe this stuff. <laughs> um, I say. Yeah. I also like the pause there after Roz, because I was like, Elton John's like Roz from Frasier? Oh my gosh. I guess they're Not both, anymore. <laughs> I guess they're both fairly promiscuous, but... <laughs> Now nah, he's been married for years. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but oh man, I loved seeing Oprah there because oh, yeah. her boobs are like the same size as my boobs. Nice. And I was like, goals. <laughs> I mean, I'll never be Oprah. No. Nobody could be. No. I think because of cable. Yeah, I mean, that's I guess if I was ever going to go back to school, that would be a term paper I could write. <laughs> there can only be one. Yes. Oprah, the Highlander of everything. <laughs> Take that, Stephen Hawking. Uh, anyway, but yes. Serena Williams looked great. Excellent. Oh, my gosh. You need to look up that outfit. You would like All that right. more than Meghan Markle's outfit. Sure. Which, again, it was fine. Well, I, mean, I what... saw some theories that it was like she wanted to really go really simple because she's an actress. Ah. Uh. And, you know... <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, like, nobody need, like nobody wanted you to look dumb. Yeah. 
Um, but her mom looked amazing. The queen wore like a lime green suit. And I'm wow. like, this bitch is going all out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, good for you. Yeah, sure. Princess um, Charlotte's a real cut up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Excellent. The new royal baby, whose name I can't remember anymore. Louis? I think it's Louis. Caden? <laughs> <laughs> Madison. Uh, the newest royal baby wasn't there, and that's probably uh, for the best. Yeah. You know, it would have just annoyed everyone. Yeah, for sure. He? He? Yeah. I don't know. I can't believe you don't just know this stuff. Well, I knew when there was the first royal baby, I was like, oh, it's a baby. It's George. And then they just keep coming, and I can't keep track of them yeah, anymore. Yeah, because you never know who might be a secret Nazi. I mean, Henry's... <laughs> Henry Harry still could be. No, I know. That's a good point. I just still can't believe we're all over that. Yeah. Well, that's the monarchy for you. I mean, you know, I think Angela Merkel has really done a great job, uh, you know, helping us all not hate the Nazis, not the Nazis, but the Germans. Sorry. Yes. Freudian slip. Yeah. Also a German. (laughs) Well, we've killed some time. We have killed some time. Talking about the royal wedding and other things. So. Uh, Well, then I guess that brings us to our occasionally recurring segment amy repeats history oh boy yeah it's really the best segment oh thanks yeah you're welcome yeah i mean we've only got the two Shh. Uh, <laughs> do you want to get sued <laughs> okay so yeah i just kind of went through the series and looked at of the, the crown oh this, yeah so to be clear so this episode is technically about both the crown and call the midwife yes we didn't get into much of the history around Call the Midwife because Amy didn't watch that. Right. And I forgot um, to say anything about yeah. it. <laughs> I did uh, give a quick once over on the home children, which one of the cousins yeah. requested. So I will report back on that. But otherwise. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. history is a lot more incidental on right, Call the exactly. Midwife. And like, you know, they had such a horrible President Kennedy getting shot on season oh god well yeah i know yeah yeah oh my god so bad but anyway yes okay for real all right (laughs) so the first episode really i guess i think it was like the first two episodes was the suez crisis so i you know looked into all that Mm -hmm. that hot egyptian president nasa (gasps) yes (laughs) yes well because i saw somebody on one of these 1950s fashion websites Mm -hmm. by the way we're talking about 1950s fashion on fashion backwards and i saw this guy who had like a vaguely muslim name and i was like is it that guy but it wasn't oh well i forgot what his name was until just now it was nasser so he uh was part of the arab israeli war on the arab side Mm -hmm. and he kind of got together with some people some other uh officers called started the free officers movement because at the time it was egypt was run by king farouk who was they they it was sort of a situation where they had basically become independent from Britain, but Britain was also like, yeah, but mm-hmm. King Farouk's going to be cool about it, right? Because mm-hmm. um, then we'll let him still be king. Fun uh, fact. You know who else fought in the Arab-Israeli war? Who? Vidal Sassoon. <laughs> he did! I know, I know. <laughs> I just always laugh when his... I always laugh when his name is used as the name of an actual person. It's insane, but <laughs> it, it's his birth name! Yeah, it's bananas. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he fought on the side of the Israelis, however. Uh, well, so okay. he and Nasser, probably not buds. Probably not. Except, you know, <laughs> there's a buddy comedy for you. <laughs> Nasser and Sassoon. That's right. <laughs> what is that you say? <laughs> Their ship name is Nasoon. <laughs> um. So they take their orders from Mia Farrow. <laughs> it has a chalky aftertaste. <laughs> right. Sorry, so, I always have to talk about Rosemary's baby. That's fine. It's in my contract. <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> She's got a good lawyer. Um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. So various militants began attacking the Suez Canal, and the police were like, "The band." <laughs> <laughs> Did Sting also fight in the Arab-Israeli war? I mean, not that I know of, but he could have been in black ops. (laughs) And the Egyptian police were like, uh... Don't stand! (laughs) Don't stand! Don't stand too close to me! (laughs) They they were... (laughs) That was really the issue, actually. They were fine with the militants standing quite close to them. Mm -hmm. In fact, sheltering in their barracks 
And when the British were like, hey, could you stop these people? The police were like, mm, no, we think firing rockets at the Suez Canal is legal now. We've decided. <laughs> um, so the British went in and attacked the barracks, and the free officers movement saw this chance and started riots and arson all over the place. And things never really settled down after that. Uh, Farouk kept trying uh, to install different governments to try to get some order, but it never worked. And five months later... He probably should have called Dick Wolf. <laughs> that... Who also fought in the air. <laughs> <laughs> On the Israeli side. <laughs> right. So... That's <laughs> where I met Jerry Orbach. <laughs> There's still not peace in the Middle East, by the way. <laughs> there, there sure isn't. So the Free Officers Movement launched a coup five months later, despite really only having about a hundred officers on, on their side, most of them fairly junior. And <laughs> it was actually uh, much less soothing than that. <laughs> That's more of a ghost than a dove. Well, it led to some ghosts. Dove, um, doves are actually very pugnacious. People don't know that. <laughs> Symbol of peace, but man, do they love to pick a fight. It's uh, how ironic. Don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they actually got this guy, General uh, Na- Naguibe, or I don't know how to pronounce his name, because okay. I just read it on Wikipedia. But he was like the only high-ranking person involved, so they sort of made him be like their front ma- man. Mm-hmm. But Nasser was actually in charge. Was uh, he like the hype man who was really like the main rapper? Uh, th- possibly. Wow. <laughs> it's just like Eight Mile, but set in the 1950s or 60s <laughs> and in the Middle East. Right. But apart from that, exactly the same. Tabula, tabula, tabula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, so a, a key moment in his political career, Nasser's, was when he was giving a speech and uh, somebody tried to assassinate him. I believe he'd eased Naguibe out of For being point. too handsome. Yes, they were jealous. I bet um, they were. No, it was actually uh, somebody in the Muslim Brotherhood fired eight shots at him, missed all, with all eight, and then Nasser like gave this speech. He's like, like, yeah, you know, I'm ready to give my blood for this country. Blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and you know, everybody like went crazy. Well, yeah. It. Also, like Muslim Brotherhood, I assume you've become better marksmen at this point. Well, but that's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, their story is long and. Uh, not happy. <laughs> um, yeah, and also as a result of this, so a bunch of people in the Muslim Brotherhood were arrested, including Syed Qutbi, Q-U-T-B, who was really the intellectual... That seems like a like an LOL thing. <laughs> yeah, it does. He was also the intellectual forefather of, like, Al-Qaeda and everything else. Oh, yeah. wow. Now that's ironic. Yeah, well, he, that he um, sounds like an emoji. Yeah, he got he became radicalized when he visited America and thought everybody was like dressing like sluts and stuff. Well, if it was in the sixties, to be fair, <laughs> they were. We're gonna get to that, right? <laughs> so yeah, um, you thought I dressed like a slut when you met me. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, and look at us now, <laughs> divorced. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> who's a slut now, Amy? <laughs> um, Nobody, actually. Yeah, no. Everybody's um, being very responsible. That's right. I, uh, yeah, I take my relationship slow and I don't show my midriff. <laughs> that should be your Tinder, like, uh, profile. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Although people might think you're a never nude. <laughs> Like I sh- yes, I will show my midriff if things get that far. <laughs> you're you're a one-on-one midriff kind of gal. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm monogorific. Um, yeah. So it actually. Oh, and one note about the uh, the coup. Nasser was. <laughs> Nasser had like kind of kept in touch with CIA officials, like kind of through his career because he's so handsome. <laughs> Yes, he was trying to seduce them. I Uh bet he was. Well, there's no better way to get your uh, government recognized than seducing the CIA. (laughs) That's true, actually. Um, (laughs) But really, he was just, you know, kind of keeping them as a counterweight to, you know, the Brits. Um, He, like, actually reached out to the Israelis very quietly at one point, but realized that that wasn't going to get anywhere. I love a love quadrangle. Yeah, but it just led to the idea uh, on the American side that, like, 
he was one of theirs, like that the coup was a CIA thing, and it just wasn't at all. God, Americans are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like we're friends though, right? Like, why would he? Yeah. So anyway, obviously, this whole thing had upset England and France. Would was you all... say they were not amused? <laughs> I, I would actually. <laughs> Um, and then France also got real uppity because Nasser was supporting the Algerians' attempts for independence mm-hmm. from France. And so they said that they were not going to fund the Aswan Dam anymore. Their reasoning was that their, the Egyptian economy just – was they said that the Egyptian economy just couldn't handle that much, like, foreign aid. It was like, you just you just can't handle that much money. Like, you're con- – like – too much money for the economy was their argument. Would like, you say they're not ready for this? I wouldn't. Oh, Aunt Eden, however. <laughs> All uh, right, that guy. Yes. Holy cow. Yeah. So Nasser was like, "Well, in that case, we'll just take this canal here and use that money for the dam." And so that's, you know, as we see on the this, this show, it went horribly wrong. It did. It wasn't actually funny. Yeah. You know, the, the British just assumed that, like, the Americans would come in on their... Like, they asked the Americans, like, is this a good idea? And they were like, no. And they're like, yeah, but if we just do it, the Americans will have to support us afterwards. That's not, like, the worst strategy in the right. world. Like, you can see how it could have worked, but... Um, and then as we saw, saw on the show, the British public was pretty quickly very upset. Uh, the BBC was critical of it to the point where the government apparently seriously considered just taking over the BBC <gasps> so they wouldn't do that anymore. I thought they already owned the BBC. No, nah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's four now, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's any number. Uh, one... One note, uh, one of the uh, liberal commentators in, I believe, The Guardian criticizing the uh, Suez Crisis was Violet Bonham Carter. Is it Helena Bonham Carter's mother? Grandmother, yes. Wow. Also, Winston Churchill's closest lady friend apart from his wife. Oh, my. Yeah. Like, sexy times lady friend? That is how it was worded in Wikipedia, (laughs) and I have no other information (laughs) on the subject. Ah, you know... It may have taken us a while to do the research, but I'm pleased that it's still as shallow and unreliable as ever. <laughs> I mean, that does lead to the intriguing possibility that, that Helena Bonham Carter is Winston Churchill's illegitimate granddaughter. However, having seen her, I am confident this is not the case. Yeah, you can't see the face I'm making, but it looks a lot like Winston Churchill. <laughs> um um, but it's not giant enough. Yeah. Yeah. So then the Americans, when asked to support this fait accompli, were again like, hell no. And they went farther than that. And part of it was that the Soviets were like, oh, yeah, well, we'll help you fight. I remember that part from the show. Right. And Said me and several others. <laughs> That's right. And the I like Amer- being the audience avatar here. <laughs> yes. And the Americans were like, boy, this sure sounds like a way World War Three could start. So, oh, they're always saying that. <laughs> yes. And it's like they want it to happen. Yeah. So Eisenhower th- threatened to. Who? Dwight David Eisenhower. <laughs> oh, right. Mamie Banks. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, th- he threatened to sell off a bunch of the U.S. government's reserves of British currency, mm-hmm. which was already struggling, and that would have really, like, kind of put pressure on their economy. Wow, apparently. I sure do not understand macroeconomics. Yeah, it's tough. I, at all. I've, I've, I've taught myself a lot, but it's a struggle. And so Anne Nadine had to, like, give in at that point. Although, there is an argument that it was Macmillan who told Eden that he was like, I talked to Treasury, and they were like, if Eisenhower goes through with it, we're fucked. Mm-hmm. And there's some indication that Macmillan, in fact, exaggerated <gasps> what the Treasury Department had told him. Yeah. Thomas More, you <laughs> son of a bitch! That's right. <laughs> uh, so they backed down, and it was great news for the Soviets, because they hadn't really done much, but they <laughs> were also in a great position to just like k- take complete credit mm-hmm. for it. Um, it's not like that. It's not like they had nothing to do with the outcome, right? So, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty much what I've got on the Suez Crisis. Okay, great. Yeah. Next episode, I didn't really have much about except that the Christmas speech that everybody seemed to like lo- shit their pants over. Right. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Soil themselves. <laughs> <laughs> 
was uh, not exactly universally loved. I'm sure some people did love it, but I found a quote uh, saying that it had too many ponderous platitudes written into it by her officials and that it presented a false picture of the Commonwealth as one big happy British family, all Anglo-Saxons under the skin. Which... I mean, that's also what Meghan Markle's veil said today. Yeah. So if you don't know, Meghan Markle's veil had flowers from all 53 countries of the Commonwealth embroidered into it by hand by people who had to wash their hands every 30 sec- 30 minutes, excuse me, 30 seconds would be a bit extreme. <laughs> yeah. Along with some other flower, like the whistle sweet or the, it's like a really insane British thing. Yeah. And the California poppy. Uh, but it's like, Oh, I mean, I guess, you know, you would have to be super down with like this you know, colonial hangover that you're marrying into. Yeah, for sure. I'm also offended, like, that it should have been all 50 state flowers, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he gets every Commonwealth country. I don't know if you know this, but man, greater than sign, <laughs> woman, especially when one of them is royalty. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that has historically Despite been his true. glaring gingerness. That's right. <laughs> He's never denied being a ginger. <laughs> um, He's not even ginger. Yeah. He's strawberry blonde. <laughs> and I mean, that has always been the premise of the Commonwealth is that... Gingers rule. <laughs> Commonwealth rules. Well, A, yes. <laughs> and B, that, you know, if we all just stick with it, eventually all these brown people will pe- become white, you know? That doesn't make any sense. There's nothing, there's nothing in the rule book that says that will ever happen. Yeah. No. I guess I missed my chance. Apparently, it wasn't automatic that Prince Charles was going to be head of the Commonwealth. Oh, yeah? I should have submitted my candidacy. (laughs) I'd be great at it. (laughs) I'd like to see you and Guy Branham run together. (laughs) Oh, by the way, this is just random. We're not, you know, we don't really talk to Guy. No, we don't. Uh, But he's got a book coming out Mm -hmm. called My Life as a Goddess, and you should buy it because he's funny as hell. Yeah. A few days ago, I dreamed that I, he was going to give me his old couch, which is really nice. Him, so I had a horrible dream last night that was like kind of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Oh, yeah. Except it involved like cannibalism, but also like an AMC theater. Yikes. Like it was set in the Regency era, and yet there was a multiplex. I don't understand it, but like it was like terrifying. Mm-hmm. But I kept going, like I kept, you know, my alarm kept going off, and I was like, no, man, what's going to happen? Are they going to find that girl he's going to eat? Or like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it was super, it was horrible. Yeah. I just had a standard theater anxiety dream or, you know, not knowing your lines mm-hmm. and everything. And then I also couldn't find my costume. My dream was like, well, it could be in the men's dressing room or the women's dressing room. This is going to be so hard. <laughs> that is really challenging. Did yeah. you find it or did you wake up? I woke up. That's probably wise. <laughs> For the best. <laughs> okay. Anthony. And Lord- Cleopatra. <laughs> Lord Snowden. As no. he became. Tony. Yes, Tony. Surely not. Yes. Surely Anthony. He, you know, obviously was in fact quite a noted photographer. Uh, some of those portraits in the National Portrait Gallery by him mm-hmm. include Maggie Smith and <gasps> J.R.R. Tolkien. I mean, boo. Yeah, I but, know, but that's, that was, I, I'm sure I got some, some fans out there. You know there. what would have been more appropriate is if he took a picture of a bunch of hills and said it was J.R.R. <laughs> Tolkien. Well, it's J.R.R. Tolkien sitting at the bottom of this, like, giant tree. Fuck you, Tolkien. <laughs> I know you're dead. I stand by it. It's probably Tony's idea. <laughs> he was very unconventional. That's right. So unconventional that he had an illegitimate daughter that was born three days after he married Margaret. <laughs> Oh, right. They talked about that. Yeah, I know. But I was just like, like, I don't, I feel like the timing wasn't made clear in the show. Maybe well, it was. Well, they fussed around with a lot of the timelines well, right. in this season. But I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's a wedding present for you. It's so interesting to me because in the course of my researches on Prince Philip being a dick, when they, you know, did the thing that Liz did with Tony, mm-hmm. where, you know, she had him vetted right you know they're always vetting these people and then never being like no (laughs) (laughs) yeah but when they were vetting prince philip apparently Mm. uh it was reported to king george that he would not be like they couldn't expect faithfulness from him Ah. um was the sort of verdict of you know whatever you know puritanical hangover they had doing this but you know, I mean, it is, you know, yeah. even even 
if you're not in this position where you're a royal, like yeah. it's virtually impossible to say to a person, hey, even if they're not engaged or right. married or anything, to be like, you know what? This is not a good idea. Yeah. You can't you can't tell somebody that. You cannot. Well, and I've been involved in this thing on Twitter with one of our listeners, Heidi, uh-huh. and she's just like she was just asking me, like, you know, do people have the right to be married basically if it doesn't like basically should we even bother getting married because it might not work out, which I don't agree with. I mean, right. I have many criticisms of marriage, but yes. like you know, my opinion is like by that logic, nobody can ever do anything ever. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you also have to understand like, A, nobody gets married and is like, I'm for sure getting a divorce. Right. Oh boy, this is a real, this is going to be a real mind fuck in about <laughs> 10 years. Yeah. And B, like, we're dumb people. Yeah. Like, we're not smart. And, particularly when it comes to relationships mm-hmm. when you get your emotions and your hormones going you know you're not going to listen to somebody who's like oh maybe you like shouldn't make a lifelong commitment yeah. to this person yeah and i mean and even if nobody tells you right. that uh sometimes you still get divorced yeah this they shouldn't have gotten married um <laughs> 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 like a lot of british bisexuals at the time <laughs> Uh, really, Paging Boothby. Yes, which I'm about to Oh, I bet you well. are. Yes. I bet you are. He, he's quoted as saying, I didn't fall in love with boys, but a few men have been in love with me, and, you know, presumably I had sex with him as well. Well, I mean, I feel like you can't be bisexual or, like, a closeted gay man mm-hmm. in Great Britain without essentially being Oscar Wilde. <laughs> like, well, you know, he yeah. just... No, I know. He set this standard where it was just like, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> You're gay. You're the one who's gay. <laughs> no, I mean, yes, but no. <laughs> I have two children. And also this boy that I fuck around with. Where's my wife? I don't know. <laughs> Where's anyone's wife? It's not any of my business. <laughs> So their marriage quickly ran into difficulties with what is admirably summed up by Wikipedia as drugs, alcohol, and bizarre behavior by both parties. Wow. So, like, for example, he would leave notes in books that he knew she was reading for her to find, just saying what he didn't like about her. I've heard about this. Yeah, including one which just read, you look like a Jewish manicurist and I hate you. Right. They use that in the show. Yeah, I know. But, uh, like... Just to, like, why would you do that? Because he was a sociopath. Right. They may well both have been sociopaths. Yeah. Um, so Look, any- it's the royal family, man. Yeah. There's no limits put on. Like, despite the very rigid sort of social code, mm-hmm. A, neither one of them gave a shit. Yeah. And B, behind closed doors, you can be as big of an asshole as you want. Uh-huh. Again, hold that thought. When I get to my segment on Prince Philip, which I will be closing with, by the way. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the other person I looked up in this episode was Boothby, Lady mm-hmm. Mac's side piece. And he was he was an interesting chap, also plausibly bisexual. Uh, supposedly at Oxford, his nickname was the Palladium. Palladium? Mm. Palladium. What do I look like? I'm cultured. <laughs> <laughs> because he was twice nightly. Oh. Yes. Wait, with different people or the same? I believe different people was the implication. Oh, good for him. How proactive. Boy, those Oxford students really banging the midnight oil. Yeah. And he then went on to become really influential in decriminalizing homosexuality in England. Oh, well, that's very good. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, too late for poor old Alan Turing. Well, that is true. He was a much better, possibly fake bisexual than Anthony. (laughs) Um... There are literally <laughs> dozens of us. <laughs> There's also a great story about him. He went to Germany very early in, like, shortly after Hitler had taken over. Mm-hmm. Hitler greeted him by saying, Heil Hitler, which he had not heard before. So he responded in confusion, Heil Boothby. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, um, that's great. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I didn't get into this because I feel like I actually talked about it in the podcast. But uh, John Bodkin Adams, who was 
Well, you laugh, but he was uh, a doctor. Bodkin! Right. Um, he was a doctor and also seems to have been a serial killer. Ooh. Who's like... Tell me more. Was he straight? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly and Bodkin sitting in a tree. K-I-L-L-I-N-G. Yeah. And the, except the investigation into him appears to have been purposely sabotaged by the government for a variety of reasons, one of which was... This just sounds like the plot of From Hell. Did you check if this is accurate on Wikipedia? <laughs> yes, I have checked. <laughs> uh, did it have issues? <laughs> it did not have issues. Did it uh, need a citation? <laughs> one of his possible victims was the Duke of Cavendish, who was Lady Mac's brother. Okay. And one of the reasons advanced for why they just let him go around killing people rather than investigating his crimes... Because nobody liked that guy? ...was because it brought them close to Lady Mac and nobody wanted it to come out that she was cheating on her husband? That's the most English thing I've ever I heard. I know! Because everybody knew anyway! I know! Oh my god! Yeah. How embarrassing. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. Is I, that guy dead? Uh, yes. Or is he still slicing people <laughs> up at the royal wedding? <laughs> he was invited. But like, we've come this far. We have to stay with <laughs> Oh, Botkin. <laughs> Altrincham. John Grimm. Yeah! Lord Altrincham. Yes. I hope to God you found out about Patricia's toffee. I did not. I'm sorry. God Damn it, Amy. <laughs> I would have loved to. That should have been this whole podcast was just <laughs> Patricia's toffee recipe in a variety of languages. <laughs> yes. One ounce cocaine. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he was just liberal from the day he was born. And when he came into his title, he refused to ever take a seat in the House of Lords. Mm -hmm. Did he go hang out with those other guys? Was he allowed uh, in the House he, of Commons? He was not allowed in the House of Commons. Because he wasn't common. Because he wasn't common, that's Do you right. think they would let the rapper common in the House of Commons? <laughs> uh, no, he's black. Mm, um, good point. <laughs> um, they just think he was the preacher from that wedding. That's right. He was much criticized for daring to pit his infinitely tiny and temporary mind against the accumulated experience of centuries. Do they know they're not that great? Right. Like, their only thing is that they are an island, and they had a tremendous tactical advantage against the powers of Europe. <laughs> yes. But they do and not And to a lesser that. extent, Greenland and Iceland. Yeah. So that was, that was among the many dyspeptic responses to his criticizing the queen. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, it seems like it's actually... Because this show isn't super historically accurate, but it seems like a lot of... I learned this in my researches into Philip being a dick. Right. Uh, but it seems like a lot of this one was, was more or less on point, so I you know, won't get much more into that. But then later in his career, in, in 1963, they passed an act that made it possible to uh, like disavow your peerage or whatever. I knew that he did that. Yeah. So he did that, and that act also allowed women to become to sit in the House of Lords. Oh, good for them. Yeah. And it was actually pushed... Shouldn't they have renamed it the House of Gender Neutral Lords? <laughs> <laughs> right. The um, House of Lords and Lordesses? Yeah. The with house, an X? Yeah, I was going to say the House of Lords, but like spelled with a Y. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lords. <laughs> right. Well, that will have to wait. Um <laughs> I mean, it could happen. These millennials. Yeah, I know. But Britain's actually kind of behind on these things. Hmm. Like, you know why? It's now, because they're isolated from the rest of Europe with their tactical advantage. <laughs> That's right. No, now that I'm on trans Twitter, it's been interesting to see oh, really? like, different parts of, yeah. The but they English were so into world. androgyny and Velvet Goldmine. Yeah, I know. But that was just for men. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. I keep forgetting about men. <laughs> Me too. I know. Well, I've just kind of systematically reduced them in my life, and you really did a lot of the work for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to help. <laughs> yeah, but they do keep making themselves noticed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that act was actually pushed by a Viscount Stangate, who had been a... What? Viscount Stangate. What country do you think we're talking about here? It sounds much more like Transylvanian to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Viscount Stangate. I'm so angry. <laughs> he was a younger son uh, and assumed he would never get the title. And he was actually elected to commons. Did he kill his brother? No, but his brother died. This made him... Was it Bodkin? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> right. And then he like ran for commons again and won... But they were like, yeah, no, that's not allowed. They awarded it to the runner-up because he was a lord. So he pushed for the rule. And then after that, w- became a member of the House of Commons. But then he was, and this is, this is an insane England thing, he became the crown steward of the manor of Northstead. That is a place that does not exist. The title, however... Is it like Platform 9 and 3 quarters? Not really. It's basically, there used to be an official crown job where you ran this one manor. And then one thing and another, the manor stopped existing, but they never got rid of the post. Okay. And since 1652 or something, you were not allowed to resign from the House of Commons. Therefore, if you wish to resign from the House of Commons, what happens is the monarch will give you the post of manor of the steward of the manor of norfolk or whatever which because it is a paid royal post disqualifies you from sitting in commons and so that's how you get out of the house of commons that is more confusing than the rules of cricket (laughs) yes also the league of empire loyalists that guy that like oh yeah that fascist guy yes Definitely fascist. Uh, it was founded by, I think it was A.K. Chesterton, who is G.K. Chesterton's second cousin. I was just going to ask if they were related. They are. Uh, who was part of the, uh, I think it was the National Union of Fascist, Fascists or something, led by Oswald Mosley before World War II. Hey, I remember that from Upstairs Downstairs. That's right. So he was in with those guys. And after the war... Remember Spargo? <laughs> Spargo. <laughs> God, Claire Foy is amazing. Yes. Let's marry her. Let's. Okay, great. All right. It's settled. Claire, don't call us. We'll stalk you. Yeah. Remember to wear Givenchy. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, it was, they considered themselves part of the Tories. Would you say they considered themselves Tories? No, I wouldn't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The Tories found them rather irritating. I mean, they were just, you know. Like like the Artful Dodger? They were, yes, they were. (laughs) Essentially a right-wing pressure group. Some of their stunts included sneaking into a meeting with Utant, who was the Secretary General of the United Nations, because the guy who snuck in had a big beard, and he claimed to be this one archbishop from Cyprus who also had a big beard. Typical. And they were like, oh, big beard, checks out, and they let him in. <laughs> they threw sheep guts at Jomo Kenyatta one time. Remember how we knew that guy that time that put a pie in Thomas Friedman's face? Oh, yeah. I thought about that for some reason the other day. Yeah. Well. I thought some other guy was Thomas Friedman. Then I was like, no, that was Thomas Friedman. (laughs) Right. Cool Uh, story, me. Yes. And after the Suez crisis, the Tories were like, you know what? We all, even we have given up on this whole empire thing. Mm-hmm. So the League of Empire Loyalists split with them, and he eventually founded the AK Chesterton, eventually founded the National Front, which remains the prominent, uh, prominent fascist party in Europe to this day. Oh, did they do Brexit? <laughs> they, they helped. There's more the, the British National Party, which is, you know, just the slightly less fascist version <laughs> of the National Front. But yeah. yeah. Oh. So that's the League of Empire Loyalists. Fuck them. I agree. Yes. Billy Graham. Of the Crackers? <laughs> no, well, that, yeah, technically. That was Sylvester Graham. Well, yeah, but I was thinking he is a cracker, as oh, in the, yeah. you know, pseudo slur against white people. Fair enough. I did a report on Sylvester Graham in uh, high school. So. I know. You've already talked about him on this very uh, podcast. Makes sense then. Yeah, and like the Kellogg's and the yeah. whole... Uh, You know, that diet? Yeah. What is it called? The Graham diet? (laughs) They had a lot of diets. It was a weird time. (laughs) Um, For more, CTC boils the road to wellness. Yeah. Uh, His father made him and his sister, he was 14, uh, prohibition ended, so his father made him and his sister drink beer until they got sick, uh, and he never was tempted by alcohol again. Wow. That's a real, like, Earl Woods, uh, Serena Williams' dad approach to sobriety? Yeah. Uh, but it seems to have worked, so great. He went to Bob Jones College, which... Didn't mid- that still exist? Yeah, 
and it's awful. Yeah. Um, I was like, I remember that place. It's terrible. Yes. Simply awful. But he left it. He found it to be too legalistic, whatever he meant by that. He, he tried to be a chaplain in the armed forces, but right after he uh, applied for it, he got mumps, and it took him a while to, to recover from Boy, that. Boy, mumps. Yeah. That's a thing people usually don't have anymore. That's, that's right. Thanks. Get your children vaccinated, by the way. Yes, please do. He, you know, was was a rising star preacher-wise, uh, got involved with, like, it was like the Christian Youth Outreach International or something like that. The CUIO? Oh, wait, that's Catholic Youth Organization. Right. <laughs> it was something like that. I bet it was definitely not that. Yeah, you're right. It definitely wasn't. So he got... You know, got a bit of a profile on that. And then it was his big thing was in 1949. He had some revival meetings in Los Angeles that were scheduled for three weeks, but wound up going eight because they were so popular. And that's so weird. I do not think of Los Angeles as being an evangelical town. Yeah, but that's that's where he got his start. And it was I guess evangelicalism at that time was very progressive. Mm -hmm. And anyway, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like he was also very much like. You know, he was very much like neither advocating for or at least like fine with people joining, you know, sort of mainline Protestant churches. Well, and I mean, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting and kind of uniquely American response to the same factors that prompted existentialism in France. Mm. You know, everybody is searching for some kind of meaning in the wake of this horrible global conflict. Right, right. It was also helped those co- those uh, meetings got extensive coverage from Hearst papers. Interestingly enough, I bet they did. They did, although he, him and Hearst never actually met. So. Yeah, I don't see they'd have much to talk about. In, in 1953, he began desegregating his revival meetings, and you know, saying that like because he, he he like at one meeting, maybe this was the first time, but he he took down the sort of the ropes that was dividing the two sections mm-hmm. and said, if it's not integrated, then you can have it on your own because I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And he was he was friends with Martin Luther King. Well, they both loved God. Yeah, he invited him to preach with him at one of his meetings. They they did end up splitting on Vietnam. Graham supporting it. Oh yeah, yeah. He, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's white. Right. <laughs> Indeed. He was just everywhere. He appeared on with Woody Allen on Woody Allen's variety show or te- his television show, and like had a witty theological debate with him. You which- can't see my face, but I look like Elton John <laughs> at the royal wedding. <laughs> yeah. He was the only minister who got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his ministry. Mm-hmm. So that's... Well, I mean, but he televised a lot of the Crusades, didn't he? Yes. Because, I mean, that's what I learned when I went to Hollywood for the first time, despite <laughs> having gone to Los Angeles several times. Yeah. But I mean, basically, it's like if you're a musician or if you're active in television or film, like, there's all these different categories. Right. Including radio, which you got to start in. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He- that's why Gene Autry has so goddamn many stars. <laughs> I was like, am I that insane? bitch. <laughs> no, I was fine, but I was just like, okay, like, I yeah. keep seeing stars for Gene Autry because it's not like right. they don't give you a star and then put all the different icons of the things that you've done. Uh-huh. You get a star for everything that you've done. Yeah. I also like the theory that they were like, okay, we're just going to start it and it's all Gene Autry and then we'll slowly <laughs> replace as other people become famous. I mean, bef- you know, before Gene Autry, who was there? That's right. He met in person with every president from Truman to Obama. Uh, Truman hated him, by the way. <laughs> Um, and, uh... So he didn't meet with JFK. He did meet with JFK, but... Not when he he was president? He did meet with him as president, but just, like, like once or something like that, you know? He didn't have, like, a close relationship with him, and he he campaigned against him. He was worried about his Catholicism, Mm -hmm. taking orders from the Pope and everything like that. Yeah. Everybody assumes the Pope's got his shit together. (laughs) Surprise! Popes haven't had their shit together since the Renaissance. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the the two presidents that he probably had the closest relationship were LBJ and Nixon. Um, well, I can see where you went wrong, Billy. <laughs> right. <laughs> he tried for most of his life to be to not be political, mm-hmm. um, and you know was you know saw saw good in both parties, all that sort of thing. And he he was in fact a lifelong friend of Queen Elizabeth II. Mm-hmm. Like he, he oh that's nice. Yeah, I really love that arc though. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. I hate so much of what evangelical Christianity became mm-hmm. in the United States specifically, but I just I don't know. I just like that. Yeah, you know, it's like who watches The Watchmen? That's right. It's Billy Graham. That's right. <laughs> 
He was the originator, as people may know, but you know how uh, Mike Pence won't be alone with any woman apart from his wife. Mm-hmm. That is the... It's because he's gay, right? <laughs> well, among other things. Um, <laughs> that is the... he, And as you said, it's the Billy Graham rule mm-hmm. because Billy Graham had the same rule for himself. Um, yeah, but Billy Graham was attractive by standards of the day. <laughs> right. Sorry, I was just thinking about an onion headline about Mike Pence sitting awkwardly looking at a Mrs. Butterworth container. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Yeah, his wife, before they were married, she had had this dream to go evangelize in Tibet. And he said, "Uh, no, you can't do that. And she was like, oh, and he was like, yeah, we're getting married. We're following the Bible. I'll do the leading. You do the following. Typical man. Yep. Up to and including the present day. That's right. And they were married for 64 years. And Did they ever go to Tibet? I'm pretty sure no. What Um, what an asshole. That's my feeling. His daughter was also very resentful. She wanted to become a nurse. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no. He made her drink beer until she got sick. (laughs) (laughs) No, you'd think he would have, but no. No, she just said, he just said no. And it was like, there was no explanation or discussion or anything. It was just like, That's a super, like, godly profession or whatever. Right. But he didn't want uh, his daughters working, so... Yeah, working's great. I mean, it's horrible, right? But it's better than the alternative, which is depending on other people. Yeah, here, here. There, you and I have always agreed. Yes. <laughs> then the other thing from Vergangenheit. I forgot about Vergangenheit. Yes. Oh, Vergangenheit. We hardly heighted you. <laughs> That's right. Operation Vili, which was the Nazis' plan to abduct the Duke of Windsor. It was called Vili. Yeah. Good lord. Okay. Well, Nazis for you. <laughs> we are so, so whimsical, but also <laughs> ruthless, yeah? Yeah. 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 So it really seems like the show really exaggerated. I mean, didn't make up out of whole cloth by any means, but exaggerated. Yeah, that's where they put all those photos at the end. Right. Of the extent of his, you know, Nazi sympathies, the, that whether or not he saw various things, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. You know what I'll say about that, though? You know, I assume that's true. Yeah. I believe everything you say because I also believe everything Wikipedia says. Oh, right. But what I like about the way they handle it then is that, you know, apart from like, you know, Peter Morgan very clearly like has his own axe to grind. Oh, yeah. Specifically about the Duke of Windsor. Right. But to me, it's very indicative of how this kind of thing operates in a family mm. where it's like there's these sort of like residual resentments Mm, mm -hmm. and you know everybody makes such a big deal about it and liz is just like uh well nobody told me yeah and you know maybe it wasn't even that big of a deal i mean you know obviously you want to take away his security clearances Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it was a war right but you know it's the situation where your family's just like well you can't do blah 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 you know i.e you can't be a nurse yeah a nurse killed my, you know, beer habit. I don't. That should have been funnier. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry, everybody. So it goes. Um. Anyway, Bergonga night. <laughs> yeah. So when he, when he did tour Germany, they went out of their way to treat them, and particularly Wallace, like royalty, mm-hmm. which she was quite. Oh, absolutely. By. I mean, yeah. Listen, uh, the Nazis were very shrewd. Yes. I think that's probably, they're really the Scorpios of <laughs> political parties. And I'm not proud of that, but I think it's accurate. Fair. Or Germans in general, because I was thinking about Babylon Berlin, oh, yeah. um, which again is so great and you should totally watch it. Sure. Everybody should watch it. <laughs> but there's a character who is part of sort of, you know, the proto-Nazi party, mm-hmm. the Reichstag. Yes. And they're all hanging out and, you know, they're all just bitching about how... Well, you know, it's very much, you know, they're subscribing to the narrative that it was the politicians that mm-hmm. caused them to lose World War One, mm-hmm. and they want, like, revenge. And I was just like, wow, what a Scorpio motivation for, like, <laughs> ruining most of the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, like, a attache with the French mm-hmm. before the war and actually gave the British good intelligence about how the French were not, in fact, prepared, mm-hmm. uh, which was ignored. Um, by the French or the British? By the British. 
I feel like the French probably ignored it as well. Well, sure. But I mean, he was like, he was like kind of semi-secretly reporting to the British okay. on the French. So when France demonstrated its unpreparedness, he escaped to Spain via Biarritz. Mm-hmm. Um, <gasps> Biarritz? That's right. Oh, where Mr. Selfridge gambled. <laughs> yes. Which was, you know, of course, neutral, but also, you know, fascist and, and, and close to Germany. Mm-hmm. Close like they were dating or close geographically? Uh, dating. Okay. Um, don't stand. Don't stand. Don't stand so close to Germany. <laughs> Yeah, and the the Germans, uh, like foreign minister or ambassador or whatever, like encouraged them to kind of like detain him, like not too overtly, and reported back that he was very given to criticizing Churchill and his military Mm -hmm. policy. But they eventually, uh, he did eventually get to Portugal. Then he just kept staying in Portugal, even though he was ordered, because he was technically a major general, he was ordered to return to England and was just like, nah, no. Oh, like how we were like, we kept being like, we should record this podcast. Right. And then we were like, "Mm, yeah. And then they were like, okay, actually, we've appointed you governor of the Bahamas. Go to the Bahamas. Ooh. I know, right? Upgrade. I know. What, what? And he kept being like, oh, yeah, I'm about to go. I just, I can't find one of my shoes. I A pain I know too well. Yeah. So the Germans... This is where Operation Villy came along, um, where the plan was to, like, lure him back into Spain, partly by, like... Putting they, Wallace Simpson there. <laughs> no. The idea was actually, they, they attempted to convince him that British, like, secret, intelli- the intelligence service or whatever, was actually planning to liquidate him. And that they needed to, like, so that they needed him to come to Spain. Where that they seems could, a bit far-fetched. Right. And, like working up things where they like threw stones at his house and then claimed it was from like British sympathizers or something like the ship he was going to leave on. They called in a bomb threat so that the leave would be delayed. (laughs) And he eventually, you know, just left. Yeah. And the officer in charge, the German officer later in his memoirs admitted that the whole thing was ridiculous. (laughs) That is like, that's a fifth grade level plan. Yeah. I'm Um, sorry. Year five. (laughs) Yes. And yeah, so Fifth eventually, form. I don't know. Um, Drake, leave Drake out of this. I will not. That's fair. <laughs> Can't keep Drake out of anything these days. Um, what did come out of the the Marburg files or whatever mm-hmm. was that the Nazis had told the Dio Dubs that they wanted to make him. They wanted to take over England and put him on the throne. Mm-hmm. And here's the quote from the report by the, the Nazis. Both seem to be completely bound up in formalistic ways of thought, since they replied that according to the British Constitution, this was not possible after abdication. When an agent then remarked that the course of the war may produce changes even in the British Constitution, the Duchess in particular became very thoughtful. <laughs> Well, it's hardly a smoking gun. No, it is hardly a smoking gun. She might have been thinking about schnitzel. Yeah. I would say probably most likely. Yeah. And it's also noted, a historian pointed out, that he, in fact, traveled regularly to England in an unofficial capacity, and he had a British passport, and it Mm -hmm. was, like, fine. He wasn't, like, as exiled as everybody on the crown seemed to make it. He was, like, half exiled. Yeah. Oh, you mean, like, in in the present day of the show? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was like, what? I'm like, yeah, he was fine during the war. <laughs> right. And then the last thing I have is on Kwame Nkrumah, the head of Ghana. Okay. That Liz Dan. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. That was such a good episode. Yeah. It was. She became very thoughtful. Yeah. In that episode. Mm-hmm. She had to go think. That's right. Uh, one thing I learned that I never knew was that the name Kwame is from the, the Akan people who are in present-day Ghana and Togo and another one of those West African countries, mm-hmm. I forget which. Their naming conventions are that they name you based on the day of the week that you were born. I know. I lost my virginity to someone who was born on a Thursday. Yeah. Well, Kwame was born on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Quasi is the name of someone born on a Thursday, That's by right. the by. Kofi is Friday, and I don't remember the rest. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's uh, that's a solid almost half of what you need to know. That's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was neat. He was just born in, you know, what was then called the Gold Coast. 
and began, he got into, I think, high school and started getting into Marcus Garvey, who was one of the intellectual founders of Pan-Africanism. Ah, yes. Yes. Uh, I was, like, associating him with the Black Panthers, but I think that's just because they also really liked him. I mean, kind of everybody, like, the Nation of Islam, like, oh, yeah. that to him, Rastafarians, he was he was super influential. Ooh, and I bet he inspired the Pan-African Festival that happens in the park by my house every I, year. I'm sure he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He actually, Kwame, considered becoming a Jesuit at one point. Who uh, hasn't? Right. Uh, he wound up going to Lincoln College in Pennsylvania, a historically black college mm-hmm. there, did some Presbyterian preaching time to time, and spent his summers in Harlem mm. when, you know, he really, you know, continued getting into the, the whole Pan-African movement. What, um, what time frame would that have been? This would have been, this was like just before world war ii because okay so it would have been he, like harlem renaissance yeah because he um actually like right as he left for the u.s was when italy invaded ethiopia mm, okay yeah as you could assume by what i've said so far the fbi had files on him oh i bet they did yeah suspecting him of being a communist he then went on to uh studied at the london school of economics uh, he was a philosophy major um, and then actually studied law for a bit at Gray's Inn. Well, it seems like he actually found a practical application for philosophy, which is an achievement all by itself. <laughs> yes. Gray's Inn, which is actually where uh, Cromwell was when his wife died. <gasps> yeah. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, man. A, I'm sorry it's a sad wolf hall yeah, tie-in. Yeah, my wolf hall tie-in is fun. I know. I'm sorry. Actually, mine's kind of sad, too. Oh, okay. Honestly, I think if you're tying into that period of British history, like, yeah. you know, uh, things weren't great. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there's a million different things you could tie Grace into. It's been around for centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, the Ghana got a new, or well, still the Gold Coast, got a new constitution that actually, you know, would let black people into their parliament. Um, and so the first political party came into existence, the United Gold Coast Convention, which most of its leaders were, in fact, well-off professionals. So they needed to hire somebody to actually run the party. Mm-hmm. So they hired... Is this the group that they show in the beginning of that episode? No, I don't believe so. Because he actually had his differences with them. He found them to be a bit conservative. Mm -hmm. And he also had his doubts. You know, he he wanted, you know, uh, uh, he wanted like an African, like, you know, pan-African union. Yeah. Well, like liberation. Yeah. And he didn't want it to be a whole bunch of individual countries necessarily. So he was there. He's running it. At one point, some ex-servicemen, this is now at this point after World War II, they had a demonstration which drew fire from the British. They were trying to present a petition to the British governor Mm -hmm. and uh, were fired on which led to riots throughout the country. Now, Nkrumah was one of six people who were arrested after this and mutually broke with the United Gold Coast Convention because they were kind of pissed at him. They felt like it was his fault that they had been arrested, that he had Mm -hmm. been pushing too hard. So he formed the Convention People's Party, which became the the party he went with throughout his career. There was a general strike at one point, and he was arrested, and while in prison, his party won an overwhelming electoral victory, which and they were supporting, you know, immediate independence. And the British were like, you know what, like, either we just throw away this constitution that we've given them, or we let him out to become prime minister, mm-hmm. and, you know, they'll become independent. So they just had to do it. There was, you know, there was a fair amount of division. He, there was a big, like, his big opposition was from people in the north that wanted a lot more regional autonomy within the country, mm-hmm. whereas he, of course, wanted... Everybody united under a single government. Mm-hmm. He was also very much trying to combat tribalism. You know, he, he was uh, did not treat <clears throat> the Ashanti well at all. So they fought it out politically for a while uh, until eventually he passed an amendment to the Constitution outlawing all of the parties, which he reported passed with 99.91% of the vote. Which has led some people to believe it was rigged. I mean, yeah, everybody believes it was rigged. That's a lot. Yeah, that's no, like they, nothing is ever like. When I play HQ trivia and the first question is like, you know, what is a canine? And the options are like dog, cat, goldfish. Right. Some people say cat and some people say goldfish. And you're like, I guess some men just want to watch the world burn. Like, what is this? People just let their baby play. Um, 
<laughs> oh man, these babies are either going to be crazy smart or crazy unpleasant to talk to. <laughs> Couldn't it be both? Yeah, that's true, actually. Eventually, he was overthrown in a coup in 1966, which may have involved the CIA. It seems a little less certain than many of the other coups that were they were definitely involved yeah. in. And they certainly had some role in it, but how decisive it was is not really understood. Mm-hmm. Just lived out his life in exile in Guinea. Mm, that uh, sounds great. Yeah. And that dance didn't mean shit. You know, it happened, but... You know, it was just... Well, my impression even from the show was just that it was like a public relations... I mean, it's essentially like a dog doing some... Like, it's like a... It's like a dog flushing the toilet. Right. Which I feel like, (laughs) much like earlier when I compared you to a puppy that has learned its new name. (laughs) Yes. Is much more backhanded of a comment than I... But it's just like... Right. Nobody thought Liz could do anything. Yeah. And so she did something. Yeah. And everybody was like, wow, <laughs> I guess she can talk. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. To the extent that he, uh, she kept him away from Stalin it sh- or the Soviets, it should be noted that it was after that dance that he received the Stalin Peace Prize. So, oh. Sorry, the Lenin Peace Prize. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. Stalin. No, no, no. Peace no. was not really his thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was, he certainly was, you know, socialist, etc. But, you know, like a lot, like... And so everybody, like, of course, during the Cold War, it was like, well, he's on the side of the Soviets. But, like, they didn't really give a shit about the Soviets No, well, at all. again, you know, human be- remember when I said humans aren't intelligent? Yeah. You know, socialism is not the same as communism. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Human beings, your need for a single cohesive philosophy <laughs> of governance is one of your worst qualities. Yes. So that was it for the crown. Okay, great. Uh, yes. The only thing I, I looked at for Call the Midwife, because it was mentioned on our Facebook feed. You know, it's not until just now that I realized that Home Children did not at all tie into the crown. No, it did not. I mean, you could argue that Prince Philip was kind of a home child <laughs> of a form. Well. They did send him to Australia. They did. He didn't want to go. No. He was smuggled in a boat one time. It ruined his life. Yeah. The Home Children was a scheme by which... More than 100,000 children who were poor were sent from the United Kingdom to various other countries. It started in Canada mainly, uh, but it spread to Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's not a ton to say about it. It's just, you know, people being terrible to poor people. When did it start? It's like the particular thing, uh, the Children's Friend Society. Was, wow, what a misnomer. Was founded in 1830, although it was founded as... The Society for the Suppression of Juvenile Vagrancy Through the Reformation and Emigration of Children. And because I was going to say, oh, that seems like a way to sort of circumvent the closure of like Victorian era workhouses, but it predates them. It did. Well, so like, and again, it was, it was founded by people with legit good intentions. Uh, Annie McPherson, definitely. She was appalled by child slavery in the matchbox industry. Mm -hmm. And so she tried to take people and, you know, first, you know, she opened up a a home of industry in London and eventually was like, no, they need to go to a country of opportunity and ship them off to Canada. There was also a Maria Rye who got involved with a similar scheme who may have not have had as good attention. She was criticized for uh, just profiting off of it Mm -hmm. and just straight up selling the kids. And basically, I mean, just basically what it came down to is they were like, okay, go to Canada, find jobs. Here's, and they would just place them in places and be like, okay, we're never going to check on these kids again. So, you know, do what you want, basically. Well, I can see why they got funded. Yeah. Yeah. And so this just kept going on for a long time. It did not really finally end until the late 1960s. Jesus. Yeah. In Australia, it kind of gets... It's, it was basically part of a broader scheme of just being horrible to all poor children for about a century. Okay. You know, sort of... So it was... they, they The home children were one group. The other main group was... Uh, was known at this point as the Stolen Generations, where they would just take uh, Aboriginal children away from their families. That I think I knew more about than the home children. Yeah. And that went on on even longer. I feel like 
I want to say into the 80s even. Sounds like a very 80s thing to do. Yeah. And it was, the thing about it was in all cases, like, it was actually, there were way, there were way more Australians of European descent that were sent off into these horrible conditions as well, mm-hmm. just numerically, you know, not as high a proportion. And it was just sort of a situation where they just were real shit at taking care of poor children and didn't care. Yeah. And just you know, like put them in horrible situations and it wasn't anybody's job to do anything about it. And I think you have to assume that the reason for that is because it was sort of like, is because of the the racist aspect that it was sort of, that it sort of grew around. Mm -hmm. That once you had this system of like, we just need to like take these people away from their families and send them off to live with white people where they can be, you know, learn to live like humans. And then once that system's in place, well, now you've got also a bunch of, like, little dirty, poor white kids running around. It's like, well, send them off into the same system. Mm-hmm. And it was just, uh, just, just, you know, 80, 90 years of horribleness. Yeah. And it's sad to think about. Yeah, what a bummer to end on. Yeah. Uh, oh, the good news is that it's it, it made me learn about a new Emily Watson movie I hadn't seen before. Oh, yeah? What is it? Uh, Oranges and Sunshine. Wow, that sounds really incongruous with what you have just described. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, but is that how they tricked the kids? I don't know. I, I did just... they say they were going to Florida? <laughs> no, nobody would have gone. Um... <laughs> now, now, plenty of people think Florida's fine. For I know some reason they really do. Yeah, it was. Uh, I believe it, the um, that she plays somebody who actually like one of the people that really actually brought this into the public eye in, like, the 90s. I see. Okay. Yeah. And that's, like, all of this stuff, nobody even, like, knew about it or gave a shit until mm-hmm. 90s or even more recently than that. Just a friendly reminder, I believe children should be allowed to vote. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so is that all of the history? That is all of the history I came up with. Well, guess what? That was a lot of history, Amy. That was Amy. a hell of a lot That of was history. a lot more than I was expecting, yeah, well. based on both of us being like, I'm not prepared. That's right. You being not prepared, different sign than me <laughs> being not prepared. <laughs> Be that as it may, we are going to wrap things up here, right. and we will continue next week with a Fashion Backwards episode that's mostly about me. (laughs) Hooray. So until next time, up Up yours yours downstairs. downstairs.